We chose to show that uh, video tonight to update you about our mission to England and uh, or to London. And uh, interesting enough, yesterday there were some terrorist attacks that happened in London. And the very first people that came to my mind were the Struther family. And I'm thankful for their faithfulness there. And um, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about Europe, it's such a just a very precarious area. In fact, that part of the world going towards the Middle East is a very precarious part of the world. We need to remember to pray for these countries and for the gospel outreach. Be in prayer for August 25th to the 28th. That's our, our annual missions conference, the Faith Promise Conference. And we're looking forward to God just really, really working through our church and just challenging us to go to the next level in terms of Faith Promise participation. And uh, for the Lord, just to call some, some folks out from our church that will surrender to the mission field. Let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would. And I want you to go with me. We're going to have a, a kind of a fun Bible study this evening. I want you to go with me to Second Samuel. We spent uh, probably the last year or so, a little bit over a year, in First Samuel off and on. And now we're back in Second Samuel. And uh, I want you to see some things tonight as we go through some really good nuggets of gold uh, found in the passages this evening. And we're going to kind of do a Bible study on a, on a segment of people found here in Second Samuel 2. As you're turning there tonight, I just want to tell the ladies who are supposed to be in the ladies meeting for the uh, August 12th uh, Special Ladies Fellowship, that meeting's been postponed to next Sunday. So ladies, if you were asked to be in that meeting, it's postponed to next Sunday after evening service. So if you'll be there, that'll be a blessing. Yesterday, I think it was our junior high girls that had a cupcake war. <laughs> and it was pretty good. They're pretty talented. And uh, they kind of found me somewhere, my wife somewhere, and said, would you judge the, uh, the, uh, the cupcakes? And the Bible says, judge no man, amen. But uh, I... But I did judge the girls, amen? And so uh, we, we had a good time of just tasting. The, the girls are, are very, very talented. They did a great job. Sunday school teachers did a great job for that. And uh, all of the cupcakes were delicious and wonderful. And I'm just thankful I only had a sample and didn't eat all of them. That would have been terrible for tonight. But uh, ladies, you did a good job. And teachers, thank you for that. Second Samuel 2, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, would you share your Bible with them? Help them find their place tonight. <clears throat> And being prayer for the church, we have a good number of our folks out on vacation today. I think we had about 60 people out on vacation this, today, this, today, and uh, we've got many more next week that will be out. And please be safe. Hope you're in church. If you're out next Sunday, be in church somewhere and to worship the Lord. Second Samuel 2, go with me down to verse 4. Second Samuel 2, verse 4. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, notice the very first thing that came to David, the very first piece of news came to David after he became king. They told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, and he said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, I also will requite you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Therefore, now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant. For your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. I don't know how many times those of you who have read your Bibles have read about the men of Jabesh Gilead, and you ever ask yourself the question, why did the Lord just insert passages of Scripture about the men of Jabesh Gilead? Tonight, we're going to look at that this evening, and I just want to preach a message this evening, a Bible study tonight, just entitled, The Men of Jabesh Gilead, or if you would, I will pass on passivity. And I want you to see some things about these men, and how the Lord transformed them, how it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of where they were at in their beginning stages, 
and where God took them to where we ultimately read in this passage of Scripture, where God ultimately led them. Let's pray tonight that the Lord would work in our hearts, especially as the summer's beginning. It's easy as the summer begins that with our children's activities and a lot of things and vacations, things like that. We can just kind of start getting on cruise control in our Christian life. And it's okay. I'm glad people are going on vacation. You need to go on vacation. You need some time alone and, and to get with your family and to recharge your spiritual batteries. But we must be careful during the summer months that we don't allow ourselves to be such on cruise control that we let the work of God or even our spiritual lives just just to kind of just be on, on that motion and nothing happens there. Let's pray tonight that the Lord will speak to us with the example of the men of Jabez Gilead. Father, we love you. We thank you tonight. <clears throat> just a good report about the Struthers. Bless Brother Ryan and his family. Use them in England. God, used them to start many indigenous churches, independent Baptist churches throughout all of England. We pray for London that God, that there might be a time before the Lord returns, that God, we see the days of Charles Spurgeon once again over there. The days of Spurgeon, the days of F.B. Myers, and Lord, the men's like G. Campbell Morgan, God, men who shook London. We think of, Lord, the Wesley brothers, and God, we pray for those days to come back again. Father, we pray for our own country right now. Our country is seriously in need of a great revival. July 4th is around the corner, and we'll be celebrating the independence of our country. And reminded, Lord, that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And certainly, Lord, our, our country needs revival. And I just want to pause and say tonight, we pray for President Trump for his salvation. We pray that God, that his heart would lean not just towards doing right, but he realized that he must have a righteousness, which is by faith through Jesus Christ. We pray tonight, Lord, for our own individual area for the reaching of souls for Christ. Thank you for the many visitors who are in church this morning. They got a gospel tract. The door was knocked on. They heard street preaching. God, someone invited them. And we pray that, Lord, you'd work in their hearts, that uh, for those not saved, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. And those who know that they are saved and they need to be in a church like this, that they would identify the doctrines of the church and the direction of the church. Thank you for your people who are here tonight. Those who've labored through the week to, Lord, prepare Sunday school lessons and have worked in serving you, Lord, in different capacities. And I think of yesterday how some of our teachers gave several hours of their time to minister to young people. And, God, that's a blessing. Then ministering again today. And, Father, we just thank you. It's a joy to serve the Lord. And tonight as we assemble here as your congregation, we need you to touch us. God, I need you to work past my weaknesses and my inadequacies and my insufficiencies. God, without you, we could do nothing. Help me this evening that I might preach the or holy oracles of God. And would you stir up some fires within us as we do the study tonight about the men of Jabesh Gilead. Lord, bless this service tonight. Help our folks who are traveling in a way that, Lord, your hand of blessing be upon their lives. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're studying 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel was entitled, The King is Coming. It was about the anticipation of David coming to the throne. In 2 Samuel, the king has come. The king is on his throne. We read here in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3, that the men of, of, of uh, Judah came and they brought David up and they made him king. In verse 4, we see the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the, the household of Judah. David is king over Judah for seven years. And then after that, all of, all of Israel would be united and federated once again. And then David would be king king over the entire land of Israel. He would be king over his people for 40 years, 40 of the best years of the nation of Israel. 
Now, if we look at this, what precedes David coming to the throne, which is still fresh in the minds of David and the nation of Israel, is the death of Saul. Saul died tragically on the battlefield. Saul died as a loser. And I think we could say that with remorse. He died as a loser. He was a loser in his family. He was a loser to the nation. He was a loser on the battlefield. Worse than that, he was a loser with God. God had confronted him back in 1 Samuel 15 about his rebellion and disobedience. And he refused to give in to God. And God, he gave a false pretense that he was that uh, that he confessed his sin. But deep down his heart, he was unrepentant. And sadly to say, Saul died as a loser. And the lamentation that David, which was probably the best eulogy you could give for him. David said, how are the mighty fallen? And so we now come to this place where it's still fresh in the minds and the hearts of the nation of Israel about Saul's death there. Again, in spite of his death, something out of the ashes of all that arises out of this. And something fresh out of this happens to be the testimonial of this group of men called the men of Jabesh Gilead, descendants of the tribe of Manasseh. These men of Jabesh Gilead, they were forever grateful for something Saul did for them. This evening, we're going to look at these men who David called valiant. They're called the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead. David tells them to for their hands to be strengthened and to continue to be valiant. We're going to see a group of men who went from being apathetic to having action. We talked a little bit about apathy this morning and we talked a little bit about casual apathy and we're going to look again at this matter of apathy and the dangers that it has but we're going to see a group of men who went from apathy to action. We're going to see a group of men who reversed a bad name into a good name. By the way, that's a good thing to do, amen? To take a bad name and make it a good name. This evening we're going to look at a group of men who found their purpose in life in living for the right motive. Tonight I want you to notice how these men of Davis Gilead, their theme was, I will pass on passivity. I want you to notice four things about our study this evening. First of all, go back with me to Judges chapter 21 so we can have an understanding about these men. Go back with me to Judges chapter 21. And the first thing I want you to notice with me in our study this evening is a passive disinterest. First Samuel, Judges 21, we have the closing pages there of this time period where Israel is not judged by kings. They don't have really a distinct leadership. They are overseen uh, spiritually by men that are raised up, men and women, if you would, that are raised up as judges. And these judges serve kind of as an interim buffer until God allowed for kings to be done. Israel had been for many years a, uh, a group ruled by God. They chose later on to be a a group of people to be ruled by king, a monarchy instead of a theocracy. And leading into this passage of Scripture, you'll notice Judges 21. We read the mention here about these men of Jabesh Gilead. Verse 8 says, And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not up to Mizpah to the Lord? Behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For the people were numbered, and behold, there were none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead there. Our introduction to these men of Jabesh Gilead is right at the conclusion of a civil war. You might remember in chapter 20 that uh, the men of Benjamin were found guilty of a very terrible, heinous number of sins. And uh, particular Levite had spread word out to the, all of the tribes of Israel. And he uh, basically was a very horrific situation when you read this in Judges chapter 20. And, and he drew the ire and the concern and, and the, the, if you would, the emotions of all the nation of Israel. And they gathered together at Mizpah, a place of worship, a place where Samuel would frequent. As we read First Samuel there. 
And they gathered there at Mizpah and they were weeping, concerned about Benjamin. And in Judges chapter 20, there was a civil war that happened. And, and uh, at the end of the civil war, that much of the tribe of Benjamin, if you remember this, were decimated. They had been sorely wiped out. Over 20,000 men of, of Benjamin were destroyed and decimated during the civil war there. And as, the, as things were kind of unsettling there, all of the tribes came together and the nation said, wow, we, what, what happened here? We've got one tribe here that has almost become extinct to our nation there. And they said, well, we need to gather together but in the midst of all that many of the families that represented the tribes of israel said well we're not going to give any of our sons to be husbands to the the uh, to the to the women of benjamin we're not going to try to re- rebuild this up and we've we got to find a solution to this problem we've seen a nation decimated they only have a few men left and many women and and a lot and so forth there and so they gathered together about what to be done and there should have been 12 tribes that assembled there and as we read over here in judges 21 only 11 tribes had assembled Word went out to all the tribes. Word went out to unify. Hey, there's a concern here. Eleven tribes show up there at Mizpah and their hearts are moved and they're filled with concern about what are we going to do about the tribe of Benjamin? You read that here and they've lifted up their voices and they're weeping and they're asking, what do we do here? Notice verse 5. The children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not up with the congregation of the Lord and they're concerned? And they number themselves out. It's very obvious. There's no one from the tribe of Jabesh Gilead representing the tribe of Manasseh. It's there. Where are the men of Jabesh Gilead? Word went out to everyone. And they looked out. And the Bible says in verse 9, there was none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. A war had developed. A war that had caught everyone's concerns. Let me just pause and say this about the war. When there's sin in the camp that has to be dealt with, it's never pleasant. When there's fighting and strife and contention among God's people, it's always a situation that leaves many fallen, wounded, and hurt along the way. And we look at this situation, it reminds me of what James says in James from chapter 4, verse 1. For whence come wars and fightings amongst you? Come they not of your lust, which war in your members there? And we see a little bit of this in the civil war that developed. And the nation was kind of trying to get their arms around. What do we do to fix this situation? What do we do to make good about the fact that there's almost one tribe that's cut off here? And the men of Jabesh Gilead, they did not respond. Notice again verse 8. It said, they said, and what one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not up to Mizpah to the Lord? And behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to assembly. These men show a, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they got the word. They heard the motion. They knew that other tribes had gone, but they chose not to go. They, they represented what I'm going to call this evening, this first point, a passive disinterest. They showed total passivity towards the calling, the unction. And I think we can identify that many times we'll have a missions conference and a missionary like Brother Struthers will come up and give a plea. Next Sunday, we're privileged to have our visiting with us on vacation, our, our mission, our newly supported mission we have on New Zealand, Brother Mrs. Brinkman, and you'll, you'll enjoy uh, getting a chance to meet them. And Mrs. Brinkman's a beautiful, beautiful uh, soprano vocalist, and I've got her scheduled to sing the uh, a special number in the morning and evening service. You'll love the Brinkmans, and doing a great work there in Auckland, and trying to win souls to Christ and serving the Lord. And we had the privilege to be with them last September, their friend day, and God blessed with souls being saved, and a good crowd being there. We'll be back there with them again later this year to try and encourage them in the Lord, and try to do some rallies around them, and, and gave us kind of a burn about the, the area of Auckland, but you can't get around the Brinkmans, you can't get around certain missionaries without sensing their burden, their concern for their area, and sensing their concern for reaching the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ here. But sometimes we can get so used to hearing a plea for the gospel to be spread, and so, so often we can get so used to hearing about the need for missionaries that, like these men of Jabesh Gilead, we can develop this passive disinterest. Notice these men here in verses 8 and 9, they were passive to the calling of the congregation. 
They were indifferent to the plight of Benjamin. They were unmoved by the innumerable losses that the tribe of Benjamin had incurred. Hey, this evening we see a passive disinterest. Let me describe to you for just a moment tonight about the problem with passivity. Passivity is when we have no concern about people. No concern about principles. No concerns about purpose. We have no concern about those things. Passivity is a complete disinterest in the program and in the priority. Passivity is when we enter into a state of apathy and unconcern. Passivity is when we remove ourselves from our responsibility. Passivity is when a summons is given and we answer the statement, someone else will eventually go. Someone else will be there. Someone else will serve. Someone else will do it. Let somebody else go with it. Passivity is when we refuse to be confronted by a pressing need. These men of Jabez Gilead fit the description of being a very passive group of men, a very passive nation. They were not concerned about what was concerning the west of the, of the nation there. When there's passivity, our conscience is not bothered. When there's passivity, an army is lacking in strength and in soldiers. When there's passivity, church, church attendance can be sporadic or declining. When there's, when there's passivity, we've got to be careful for our soul winning outreach and our programs. So we might have a decline in our numbers of people showing up there because we're all thinking about our own little world and we're thinking about, man, well, somebody else will be there and the preacher will be there and brother so-and-so will be there. But we forget that everybody has conflicts in their schedules and demands on the schedules and we look around and there's nobody there to reach this group of people for the Lord. When there's passivity, there's a lack of volunteers. And when there's a passivity, the call for missionaries is on a decline. Hey, if there had been passivity on May 21st, we'd still be struggling right now to figure out what we're going to do about the construction of the new building there. Oh, listen, you think about the passivity. Passivity is saying, I'm not concerned. Hey, listen, where there's passivity, there's an absence of prayer. Where there's passivity, there's a lack of exercise of faith. Where there's passivity, there's an absence of power. I'm just saying, there's, there's a description of passivity. But consider the dangers of passivity. They looked, and behold, none of the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead were there. The Bible says in verse 10, and the congregation sent thither, notice this, 12,000 men of the valiantest. They just came out of civil war. Benjamin had just been decimated. Some of the swords were still wet with blood. Some of the swords that were pulled out of the sheath were still, had just been sharpened from a war. And the Bible says the congregation sent thither 12,000 men of the valiantest and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead with the edge of the sword with the women and the children. I want you to imagine for just a moment, there's a danger of being passive. Being passive can be very costly to anyone and everyone. It can be a very costly proposition. Hey, listen, passivity is the doorway to non-productivity or unproductivity. Passivity results in laws. Passivity can result in purging. Passivity can result in being, being, uh, in missing your calling. Uh, passivity can result in you missing your participation in the harvest. I mean, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous to be a passive individual here. You know, as they did, they sweep through the man of Jabez Gilead and many were killed. And notice what it says in verse 30, 11. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman that has been lain by man. And they found among the the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins that had not known man by lying with any male. And they brought them into the camp at Shiloh, which is unto the land of Canaan. They went out there and some of the men of Jabesh Gilead and women were being killed off because of their disobedience and not assembling themselves and showing passivity. By the way, if our nation remains passive to the threat of terrorism, it won't be long before we're destroyed. If our nation remains passive about what's right, listen, parents and moms and dads, adults and I, our country is going to hell in a handbasket right now. 
Our, our values are going down the drain and things are thrown out. And if you just want to get a sample how hostile environment is, I encourage you to go take your Bible and go stand on a street corner where there's a lot of pastor by and start preaching the word of God and start waiting until those bottles start getting chucked at you. Amen. I'd say today we're, we're living at a time. This is not like it was when I was a kid growing up. I thought it was bad during the 60s. Man, it's really bad right now. I'm talking about a time where people get offended if you mention the name Jesus Christ. You go in the Advent Public School there, and the, and the public school system, I mean, their thinking is all, all backwards about things, and then, yet they declare that we're the ones that are backwards, and we've got our heads in the sand. I'm just saying today, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Righteous is exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, the Bible says. It reminds you tonight as we look at this, these men of Jabesh Gilead, was very, it was a very costly for them. And, and as the men were being decimated in number, they took 400 of their unmarried young ladies. And they said, you know what we're going to do? None of the other tribes want to give their young women, they don't want to give their daughters to the remaining men of Benjamin so they could start, they can repopulate the tribe. We'll take the 400 young women that belong to Jabesh Gilead and we'll give them to the men of Benjamin to repopulate their tribe. Remind you this morning, this evening, that passivity can be very dangerous. Passivity can be very costly. Passivity will always cost us. We see a passive disinterest by these men. That's our introduction to Jabez Gilead. They didn't show up when everybody else was there. They didn't want to be part of the solution. They didn't want to be bothered. They didn't want to be there. And what it costs you, be careful being so busy. Be careful being so caught up with so many things that pass passiveness and disinterest and lack of concern and lack of compassion and, and apathy and indifference creeps in our souls. And we develop that spirit of the Laodicean church when we're rich and increased with goods and feel like we have need of nothing. By the way, let me just remind you today, we're trying to get raise the funds and we're moving closely towards her. Praise God for that. And I, I want to encourage you to keep on giving and keep on participating. And I'm looking for Lord willing with things that are unfolding. Lord willing, I'm, I'm praying and hoping we'll, we'll know in, in a couple more weeks, we might be able to break ground in the month of August. That'd be great. We'll be able to break ground in the month of August sometime, not later, hopefully than September. And we just got our hazardous materials report, and it's, it's a much better report than we expected to have. Praise the Lord for that. And a number of other things are going to be happening with that. And, and listen, that's going to be exciting. But I want to encourage you, don't, 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 let your, don't let your passion just settle in just the giving. Hey, let your passion be help me fill up the building. Amen. Get your passion placed to help us to fill up the church and let's get ready for the fall and have some big attendance days in the fall and reach more souls and see people brought and added to the church there. I want you to be here on Wednesday nights this summer and help us have some prayer time and pray down the power of God upon the church. Amen. And let's be here on Wednesday nights and ask God to work in souls. And let's have, let's plan that every service we're going to have lost people at every service to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or I'm just saying tonight, as we look at these men of Jabez Gilead, our introduction to them are men who have a passive disinterest. And I want to ask you this. This evening, are you interested in the work of God? Number two. Go with me now to 1 Samuel 11. There's been a decimation of that group of men. The only identification we have with them is a passive disinterest. You go to 1 Samuel 11, you might want to write this in your Bibles. 400 years has passed by. 400 years have passed by since that incident in Judges 21. And if you look at a Bible map, Jabesh Gilead was halfway between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. They're in the regions of Manasseh where they received their inheritance. They weren't too far from Mount Gilboa and Bethshan, as we'll see in a moment. But they were somewhat disconnected from the rest of the tribes. 
400 years goes by and, you know, they had been disinterested in what was going on. And now the next thing the Bible brings us is 400 years later, God, God brings an incident into the lives of the people of Jabesh Gilead to stir them up. I want you to read chapter 11 with me, 1 Samuel. Notice verse 1. The Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon Israel. I want you to notice very firstly here, as we look at this situation, notice second, we see a protected deliverance. We're going to see God working this chapter to stir up the men of Jabesh Gilead. God is going to stir them up to what I'm going to call tonight a protected deliverance. Number one, notice if you would, a threatened invasion. These men of Jabesh Gilead, not, not much had changed for 400 years. They're still just kind of distant from everybody else. They said disconnected. They were far away from everyone else. They really weren't very actively involved with the rest of the tribes. 40 years had gone by. They're remultiplying. The tribe has replenished itself in size. There are more men. 400 years have gone by. I think rich in their history, they still remember that they were not involved in Judges 21 when the, when all of Israel convened about what to do with the tribe of Benjamin. And they still rich in, rich in their minds. There were families that still remembered that there were 400 young young unmarried women that were given to the men of Benjamin. And now we get here to chapter 11, 40 years later, the Ammonites led by Nahash sees this city, this group of people who have left their walls unprotected and have left themselves kind of out there. And nobody's really watching over them. And of all the locations that he, that they, they searched out, they wanted to attack, they chose this area of Jabesh Gilead. And notice Nahash comes to them and he, he encircles them. And they know as he's encircling them that there's, that there's the threat of invasion. And notice their response in verse 1. Their response was, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. You know what? They didn't want to put up a fight. That's how passive they were. They didn't want to put up a fight. They said, let's make a peace pact together. Make a covenant. They said, we will be your indentured servants. We will serve you. Hey, that's like a Christian who's being tempted by the same sin over and over and over again. Finally saying, I give up my hands. I can't win over this sin. Make me your servant. I'll serve that. Listen, that's what these men were saying. I, we can't beat you. We don't even want to try to defeat you. We don't want to even know how many warriors we have here. Just make a covenant with us and we will serve you. There's a threatened invasion. They just decided that passivity that was... Uh, uh, that was found inside him. We would just give up and become their servants. But notice something. As they do so, the Nahash makes a statement to them. Nahash wasn't just interested in making them servants. Nahash was interested in punishing them. Even Nahash, who was pagan, and Nahash, who was a Canaanite, and Nahash, who, was, who worshipped idol gods, he was so disgusted with their response. Notice what he says with them. I will make a covenant with you. On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for reproach upon Israel. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do for a covenant. I'm going to look for all of the people here, all the adults here. I'm going to thrust out everyone's right eyes. And then I'm going to go to Israel and say, just as I did to Jabesh Gilead, I'm going to do to you. He said, if you're going to give up that easily, I know if I can just push out your right eye, if I can make you blind in one eye, I can affect and affect the morale of all the nation there. A threat and invasion. I'm going to tell you tonight, if you're, we're in a passive state, we're inactive and we're apathetic, somewhere along the way, God's going to have to send something to our lives to shake us up, amen? 
Somewhere along the way, God's going to send something to shake us up, to maybe put out our right eye, and help us to be wounded in one eye and be wounded in one arm and wounded in one leg and wounded somehow to get our attention there. God was concerned about this nation behind the scenes. God was concerned about this one nation that had disconnected itself, this one, this one tribe that had connected, disconnected itself from the rest of the nation and were just passive and would say things, we'll make a covenant with us and we will serve you. He said, God said, that's enough of that kind of stuff there. I've got to do something to shake you up there. And notice, as soon as Nahash tells him, I'm going to thrust out your right eyes and lay for reproach upon, upon all of Israel. Notice, they go from a threatened invasion to where we see, secondly, a thorough intercession. Is the threat of getting your right eye thrust out, does that bother you? What does the Lord have to do to stir us up? What does God have to take away to stir us up? What does God have to hit us with to stir us up? What do we have to lose in order to realize we've been passive? And so, the threat of losing their eyes, the threat of being indentured servants stirs them up. And notice verse 3, the elders of Jabez said unto him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to the... You know what they were saying? I guess we better go get some help. He said, hey, tell you what, okay, if you're going to do that, um, if you really think so, if you really think you can affect the morale of the nation, do you, if you really think by thrusting on our right eyes and take us indentured service that you could affect all the morale, I'll tell you what we'll do. Give us seven days and we'll send messengers throughout all of Israel. And if nobody comes to help us, we'll come serve you. Now, I want you to notice what they're doing as we read the rest of these verses here. They're making a thorough intercession. They send messengers throughout all of the landscape of Israel. I'm talking about to every place where every tribe is at. They go to towns and villages and places. They're sent, they've sent a large delegation of messengers outside of Jabesh Gilead to tell them, look, we're in trouble. Nahash the Ammonite is threatening an invasion. He's camping outside our borders. He's ready to go in. They threatened to thrust out our eyes. They said, if they take us captive, they're going to take the rest of the, of the nation of Israel captive. Now, to be honest with you, as I read this, I think back in their minds, they're probably thinking this. I wonder if anyone's going to respond to us. I wonder if we're going to get a passive response by the rest of the nation. I wonder if anyone cares about our situation. I wonder if anyone's concerned about where we're at in life. I wonder if anyone's concerned about the. Hey, by the way, let me just say this tonight. One of the reasons why you want to be plugged in a local New Testament church is because you have a church that loves you. You have a church that cares for you. You get a prayer need. Listen, people rally around your prayer need. Sometimes people say, well, how come we don't, how come we don't have a prayer chain? I'll tell you, there is a prayer chain. Whenever we hear something's a very urgent response, we get communication out as best we can to everyone who has some means of communication to let them know we've got an urgent prayer need. We have Wednesday night prayer time to disseminate information so people know that's the opportunity to pray for the church there. If you're not there, that says to me that either because you're either you're working or you have another commitment that you have to be able to maybe take care of an aged father or something like that. Maybe you can't be there. But if you can be there, you should have enough concern to come to be interested in what happens to your local church. Amen? Amen. They're probably thinking in the back of their minds, I wonder if Judah's concerned. I wonder if we tell Judah that we're being threatened. I wonder if Judah will respond. I wonder if Gad's going to respond. I, I wonder if I wonder if, if anybody else is going to respond just during this period of time there. And they're concerned about it. They're making a thorough intercession. They make their way throughout all of the nation. They send messengers everywhere. Notice verse 4. Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul. Eventually, where would get to Saul? Now, Saul's in his first year as king. 
uh, Saul had really not proven himself. You know what I think Israel was thinking, well, we've got a king now so we can go settle back. And I don't think Saul really understood what his job description was. And we really don't see Saul praying and asking God what he should do and how to lead the people there. And, and uh, God gave him a band of men whose hearts got in touch. But really, just Saul was a man who really just wasn't clear about his job description. And he goes back to Gibeah and he's, and he's plowing the fields. He's doing what he did before. He's still doing farming work. And the word gets to Saul there in verse 4. And they tell, it says, Then came the messengers to give you Saul. And they told the tidings in the ears of the people. Notice this. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Kind of interesting here, isn't it? The word gets to the area where Saul is at a Gibeon. This is the tribe of Benjamin. And they hear about this and they're weeping. Hey, 400 years before that, it was the men of Benjamin that were salvaged. For repopulating their tribe because 400 women, un, uh, unmarried young women of Jabesh Gilead were given to their men. And now 40 years later, Saul gets this word. Now I'm not sure if Saul thought back that history. The Bible doesn't tell us that and I'm not going to conjecture that in there. But I will say this, the people were weeping. They're concerned about this one tribe. Hey, back 40 years before that one tribe was not concerned about Benjamin. But now Benjamin is concerned about them and they're weeping. They're crying about what to do. And Saul comes out to the field. He says, what makes the people weep? Why are they crying? And they tell Saul and Saul's exercise of leadership. I wouldn't necessarily recommend this. The Bible says he got angry and he killed a, a yoke of oxen and he sent it throughout the coast and he threatened the people. He was managing by intimidation instead of by incentive and inspiration but regardless the Lord used that to kind of stir the people back up and the people rallied together and they fought against Naash you read about this they have a successful campaign against Naash they defeat them they beat them and along the way here's what happens here the Bible says in verse 8 when he numbered them in Bezek the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000 hey that's kind of interesting 330,000 men of uh, combined of all of Israel got together and said we will go and fight for Jabesh Gilead Jabesh Gilead may not have fought for us 40 years ago, but that doesn't change our attitude towards them. We're going to fight for them. Now you get to verse 9. They said, they said to the messengers that came, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead. And they're, they're sitting with bated breath. They're sitting with anxiety in their chairs. They're thinking, I wonder if anyone's going to respond to our need. I wonder if anyone cares about our situation there. Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by that time the sun be hot, you shall have hell. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Hey, watch this. There was a thorough intercession. They, they interceded with all the nation. Will you help us? Will you help us? Will you come? Will you come alongside of us? Will you help us? And guess what? All of the tribes said, we will help you. Tomorrow you'll have help. Tomorrow at noonday you'll have help. They made a thorough intercession. They got help. And listen, the armies went out, and they defeated the Ammonites there. We read about that there in verse 11. They defeated them. Notice, because of that, the men of Jabesh Gilead... They have a thankful indebtedness. Do you notice verse 11? Verse 10, excuse me. <clears throat> Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you. And you should do with us all that seemeth good unto you. And that's a whole different change of attitude than where they were 400 years before. Amen? That's a whole different attitude. Listen, when you're passive, you're basically saying, Well, I don't know if I can submit. Your pastor, you basically say, I'm not sure if I, if I coincide. I don't, I don't know if I really agree with that philosophy. I'm not sure if I really agree with that approach there. But now they said, hey, tomorrow, they said, tomorrow we'll come out to you. They said, tomorrow victory's going to come. Tomorrow you're going to send out. They said, you know, based upon that, we're going to come out to you. You know what they're saying? Hey, we're going to re, re, we're going to reconnect ourselves to the rest of the nation. We're going to reimmerse ourselves. We're going to reattach ourselves. We're going to get back mainstream. Hey, can I tell you tonight, if you're out disconnected somewhere in left field, get reconnected with the church. Amen. 
Get reconnected with God. Get reconnected with your preacher. Get reconnected with the work of God. They said tomorrow in verse 11, verse 10, tomorrow we will come out to you and you should do with us all that seemeth good to you. You know what they're saying? Hey, we're submitting ourselves to the leadership of Israel. They didn't say that 40 years ago. They weren't concerned about Benjamin. But now, because they were threatened, because they were almost on the verge of extinction, if Nahash got a hold of them, listen, they got concerned and God started working. Then you read in verse 11, it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the hosts in the morning watch and they slew the Ammonites until the heat of their day. When it came to pass, they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. Hey, Saul in his very first exercise of leadership led a very successful campaign. All of Israel was united together behind this king. They got behind him. They said, we believe in your leadership. We have confidence in who you are and what you're doing. They got behind it and they defeated Nahash overwhelmingly. And guess what? The best part of that is not just the victory. The best part of that is it reconnected the men of Jabesh Gilead right back to the rest of the nation. They had a protected deliverance. Watch this. Here's what I'm trying to get at tonight. God has a way of dealing with passivity. God has a way of shaking our hearts. He helps us to see our disconnection. He helps us to see if we're outside on the outside looking in or we're on the look, inside looking out. And God has his way to shake us back up. And I think these men of Jabez Gilead were probably, in, were probably saddened for 40 years that they messed up and all the, and what they did there. And they just kind of continued that. And God said, enough's enough. I've got to send something to shake them up. And by the way, just a thought for you. You know, we have to pray as if we're in a trial or God sends us trials to teach us to pray. This got them moving and this got them active and this got them concerned. They got back to the mainstream of the rest of the nation. Notice in verse 10, they submitted themselves to the laws, the precepts, and direction of the nation. They said, you shall do with us all that seemeth good to you. You know what? They found their joy and happiness in the Lord by saying, you know what? The best place for us to be is reconnected with the rest of the nation. The best place for us to be is serving the Lord with everyone else, not trying to be lone rangers doing our own thing. They said, tomorrow, you do with us that seemeth good unto you. We will do that thing. We're just going to come back and be part of the mainstream what's happening. Hey, they had a protected deliverance. God overwhelmed sent them help even though they didn't deserve it probably but God sent them help to help them and show them that he loved them and the nation loved them God wanted them back in the mainstream we see a protected deliverance now notice the third thing tonight very quickly go with me to chapter 31 we saw a passive disinterest we see a protected deliverance would you notice a purpose demonstration? Forty years have passed by from what we just saw. Saul's been on the throne for 40 years. This is the last year of his reign. First Samuel 31 is the tragic story of Saul and three of his sons dying on the battlefield. They went out to meet the Philistines. They gathered themselves together in 1 Samuel 28. They were not ready. They fought out of the will of God. They, they thought they could purpose in their own strength to beat the Philistines. They could not. In fact, when you really read that passage, you read that, that Saul was filled with fear in his heart. They went out to the battlefield. And the Bible says in verse 3, the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded and he took a sword and he killed himself. Well, listen, the next day the Philistines come and they're salvaging through all that. And, and Israel word had gotten out that Saul had died and his three sons had died. And that just affected the morale of all the nation. And, and people People scattered everywhere. We read about that this passage of Scripture. They scattered. They thought, man, if our king's fallen, what's going to happen to us? And the men, the men that were scattered among all these. By the way, you might want to put a notation there. The question you want to ask yourself as we get into our next study next time is, where was Abner in all this? Abner was the captain of the host. 
And Abner, like the rest of them, had scattered and went away. And he wasn't anywhere to be found in this situation. Time. Hey, you really want to find out where people are at? Get, find out where they're at when things are really hot in the church. Find out where we're really at when things are in the most difficult phase, when thing, difficulty comes. Are we going to stay by the suffer? Are we going to leave and try to look for greener pastures here? And Saul and his sons had died and the Philistines came and they saw the body of the king and they saw his three sons and they basically, they mutilated their bodies and they took, they took this king and they decapitated him and sent his head throughout all of the kingdom. They humiliated the name of Saul and humiliated all of Israel. They said, look at their king and look at, here's his head. We beat him and they, they worked, they put his head next to their gods and then they took the body of Saul and his son's bodies and they took him to the city of Bethshan, which was in, in that area of Mount Gilboa, about 25 miles from where Jabesh Gilead was at. And they took their bodies and they basically they they pinned their bodies against the wall maybe they took spears and some sharp instruments and they basically pierced them and put them against the wall it was a very gruesome terrible sight there. And in verse 11 if you'll go down there the men of jabesh gilead appear back on the scene 40 years later You notice if we look at verse 11, we see a righteous indignation. And the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul. Hey, 440 years before they heard the call, we need the tribes to meet at Mizpah. We've got to convene about what to do for Benjamin. The men of Jabesh Gilead were not there. Listen, now we go 40 years after that incident, and now Naash the Ammonite comes, and he says, hey, you know, they, they come out and they camp around him, and they said, make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And now we see a different group of men. 440 years later, 40 years after Saul had, had purpose to, had, had protected them and delivered them, we see a whole different group group of men notice in verse 11 they are moved with indignation they're moved with the righteous indignation they remembered the good deed that saul did for them they remembered that saul put his life on the line and he led three hundred thirty thousand troops out into the battlefield and they overwhelmingly defeated nahash the ammonite they remembered that they owed their freedom they owed the fact that they got right with god they owed everything back to, to saul yes saul had messed up yes saul was a disobedient king yes saul had his issues but they never forgot the loyalty that Saul pledged to them. They never forgot what Saul did for them. And they're filled with the righteous indignation. They are bothered. They are broken in heart. They're no longer a passive group of men in a distant city who do not care. They are men who care. They were concerned. They were moved by Saul's passion 40 years before. And now 40 years later, they're still moved by this passion. They have a righteous indignation. Hey, let me say this tonight, brothers and sisters of Christ. Listen, we need a generation of Christians who have a righteous indignation. A righteous indignation that Sin is still sin. Homosexuality is still wrong. Creationism should be taught and not at evolution. I'm saying tonight, we need to be moved with a certain passion and concern about what's going on around us. We should be concerned that our world is dying and going to hell in a handbasket. And we've got to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ there. God, help us be moved with the concern of what concerns Him. Sin is abounding. When God's people move with passion, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. Well, the souls are dying. A few weeks ago, one of our members called us up and grandfather on the paternal side and grandfather maternal, uh, one on the paternal side and one on the maternal side. Both are sick and ill. One's in the hospital, and the, the paternal grandfather's in the hospital, and he's got, he's got cancer of the pancreas. 
we walk into the hospital room and we, we talk to, the, uh, we, we meet some people in there. One of them is a, a healthcare worker that is with a, with an outside group that contracts with, with groups like this and situations like this. And they say, well, we're, we're here to administer hospice care. I said, wow. I said, he just went to the hospital here. He said, Pastor Fong, he said, you got to tell you, just this, this man is, we, we feel so bad for him. He, we saw him on Monday, the day we were there was a Thursday, and they said, he has, he has declined so greatly there. We got next to that grandfather and told him who we were and who the church member was, and you could feel the pushback. I mean, it was almost like as if a, a, a thick curtain had come down between us. You could feel the pushback, and he responded to us in his dialect that, that okay, that's fine, I'm, I'm thankful for my granddaughter. And I said, well, we came because I wanted to pray with you and tell you some good news, and this is how he responded. He said, well, I, I know you're probably here with a good intention, but he says, I'm going to pray to my goddess, and I'm going to trust my goddess to get me through this situation. Needs to say that that was basically his way of saying, I don't want to hear from you and you need to make your exit real quickly because I don't really want you in my hospital room. We very politely said, well, thank you for letting us visit with you and we hope that you come out of the hospital. We can come by and visit with you. And he just kind of turned his shoulder, didn't say anything, kind of gave us kind of a, just a, a very rude, 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 just kind of turning of his shoulder towards us. We walked out, went to see the maternal grandfather who we'd seen in the hospital just weeks before that. Went to see maternal grandfather, and he was very grateful that we had come by to see him, and we could tell that his health condition was not doing very well. He'd lost a lot of weight since the last time we saw him, and, and we walked in their home, and there's, there's idols, and there's, there's an altar there, there are idols, and things of that nature there, and he was sitting in his chair, very weak, could barely stand up, and he allowed us to give the gospel to him, and we praised the Lord about 45 minutes later, this maternal grandfather trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. There's rejoicing, we rejoice, and we called the church member up and sent a picture, say, hey, your grandfather just got saved, why don't you go call your grandfather tonight, check him out, and just see if he was really real, if he did that to pass us up, we really believe he was genuine, and he was genuine real about that. Hey, it wasn't until a couple of days later, just a couple, in fact, it was a Sunday night, we were there on a Thursday on that Sunday night, we had just ended Sunday night service, I was back there by the sound booth talking to some of our sound guys, most of you had already left church, I'm down there by the sound guys there, I'm talking to the sound guys, my phone goes off, I look at it, pastor, just want to let you know, my paternal grandfather, who was in the hospital, you just saw, just passed away and went into eternity. And words cannot describe when you read something like that, I wish I'd done more. I wish I didn't wait. And sometimes we can let that go by and a week goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by. And you know, if we're not very careful, we get consumed with a passive disinterest about what goes on there. Beloved, I want to tell you something tonight. The older we get, the more we accumulate, the more passive disinterest develops inside our hearts. We get chagrined by the things going on. We have our opinions about things. And we get chagrined about this and chagrined about that. And, and if we're not very careful, we just let ourselves get overly, overwhelmingly consumed with apathy and indifferent about things. Let somebody else do it. I want to tell you, 440 years went by with this nation. And 40 years after Saul had shown some interest in him. And these men were filled with the righteous indignation. It was a fresh righteous indignation. They were indignified that someone would dare insult their king. They were indignified that someone would dare take his body and mutilate his body. They were indignified that they would dare take his head off and, and showcase his head among all their idol gods. They were indignified that somebody would take his body and the body of his sons and nail him to the, and nail him to the, the wall of their best shed as a testimonial. We did it to them, we'll do it to you. And by the way, it wasn't David that responded to the situation. And it wasn't David's mighty men that responded to the situation. Who responded was the man of Jabesh Gilead, who if God had not put this in the Scriptures, would have totally forgotten about these men. I'm going to tell you tonight, it does 
does matter that we're passive. It's not a matter, is the pastor passionate about things? It is a matter, is the membership passionate about what's going on? Is the membership passionate about Christ? Is the membership passionate about getting the gospel out to people there? We need to be concerned. You read Romans chapter 1, description of unrighteousness, it ought to concern us. I was concerned, I don't know about you, but I'm still concerned today that our Supreme Court had the audacity to redefine marriage. I'm concerned when I hear about public school system. I had this recently, public school system where a, ch- where a child is, has some gender confusion. Parents, that's the next thing on the line right now, is gender confusion. You know what I'm talking about? And the school counselor says, well, Billy, that's not his name, but well, Billy, I just want you to know if you have those kind of feelings, let's, let's let those feelings come out. No, listen, we, the, the, the parents brought the child in. I sat down the chair and they kept calling, calling all this stuff and telling the counselors. I said, hey, look at me in the eye. I said, I'm going to read some scriptures. I said, God didn't make you that way. God made you the way you are right now. You're a man. You're not a woman. He was taken aback that I would dare tell. And I said, by the way, you want to tell your counselor that Pastor Fong said, I will sign a letter right now. You can give it to him. Amen. But I'll tell you something. There, most people don't have that kind of indignation about things. Hey, did you know around the corner from us, we've got an organization around the corner from us that is very close by that wants to advocate uh, a marijuana dispensary right around the corner from our church, even though our city council has already said they have to be so many hundreds of feet away. And, and, uh, and, they, and, and, I, and, and, you know, and I'm thankful that they, they did that. To, but the, the, this group is much closer than that distance. They're trying to change all the rules about that. And I'm just going to tell you, the month of July comes up, hey, I need about, about 100, 200 members to write to the city council saying, we don't want a marijuana dispensary by our church. Okay. They're filled with righteous indignation. It ought to bother you if these parents and if these teachers and these pedophiles are messing with your kids. It ought to bother you. It ought to bother you that if they're taking the Bible and making mockery of the Bible, it ought to bother you if God's name is being blasphemed. It ought to bother you about all of these different kinds of things. But listen, be careful. We don't get so used to what's going on that we develop this passive disinterest. Hey, all I'm saying tonight is these men at Jabez Gilead, they were filled with the righteous indignation. They said they heard what had happened and they said somebody's got to do something about it. And they decided we will be the somebody. But notice something else in verse 12. We see a righteous indignation. Notice their risky involvement. That's one thing to say, I agree with you. It's another thing to be involved. Amen. It's one thing to say, yeah, preach, preacher, preach on about the offer Jesus' offering. It's another thing to put a commitment card in. Yeah, preacher, I believe what you're saying about let's go win souls. But it's another thing to come on Saturday morning on organized sowing and say, hey, let's go win souls. And verse 12, notice verse 12. And all the valiant men arose. They went all night. And took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Hey, listen, when you're moved with passion, you get involved. You're moved with passion. You put both feet in. You move with passion. You take whatever necessary risks to get it done. You move with passion. You stay late. You get up early. You get involved. You'll be the first one there. You said, you can count on me. I'll be there. You can, you know who you can count on. And when you're, when you're removed with passion, there's a risk involvement. Hey, these valiant men, they said, let them 
Maybe our forefathers 40 years ago weren't concerned. And maybe 400 years ago they weren't concerned. But we're concerned. We're not going to make the mistakes of our forefathers. We're going to get involved. We're going to do something. And they rose up by night. And they went out there. Listen, they're in enemy territory. They were risking their lives for a dead man. They were risking their lives to help a dead man. By the way, that's what soul winning is. We're risking our lives to reaching souls that are dead in sins and trespasses to bring them to Jesus Christ. A decapitated king. We're not going to recover his head. We're going to bring back his body. Hey, they made a risky involvement. Listen, when you've got passion, you get involved. When you've got passion, you're going to say, I'm all in for Jesus Christ in this matter here. You get involved all the way. And by the way, they had to, they had to walk 25 miles at night. In rugged terrain. The area of Mount Gilboa where the city of Bashan was. And all through the night, this is what I believe. The men of Jabesh Gilead were thinking, We've got to get that body back. We can't leave those bodies there. That's our king. Those are his sons. We've got to bring them back. We've got to get them back here. We're, we've got to let the enemy know that we're not going to tolerate this kind of nonsense. We've got to let the enemy know, the enemy know that we're not going to let them get away with this. They, they, may have, they may have beat them on the battlefield, but we're going, we're going to take back control of the situation. And the Bible says in verse 11 here, verse 12, that they went and they took their bodies from their... I mean, they, got a, they made a risk involved in what they did. But notice in verse 12 and 13, notice we see a respected interment. They went beyond that. Listen, they weren't, they, they, they remembered the, the years before when they, they, they were disconnected from the rest of the nation and they became the ridicule and the, and the, and if you would, the, the source of jokes, if you would, for the rest of the nation. And they remember that. And the men of Jabez Gilead, their hearts are broken. They're filled with sorrow and they're filled with remorse. They're filled with concern about what they did. And so they take the bodies down and the bodies are mutilated. The bodies are torn apart. Saul's head is missing. His body, he's been decapitated. And notice the Bible says they burnt their bodies there and they took their bones and buried them under a tree. Jabesh. They gave a proper, dignified burial of Saul. They didn't wait for the rest of the nation. They wanted to be a testimony. We want to prove to the rest of the nation we are passionate. We want to prove to the rest of the nation we are patriotic. We want to prove to the rest of the nation we are concerned. We did put ourselves in line. We tried to correct our mistakes from the past. We want to show without having to make a big a bunch of hype about things. We just want people to know that we're concerned. Hey, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. These men were faithful. They came and took the bodies and they made a respect interment. They buried, buried the bodies there. I'm saying tonight, listen, passion is fueled by memories of grace that is extended to us though we are not worthy. Passion is fueled by the thought we owe our lives to someone who is willing to lay down his life for us. And by the way, if there's nothing else, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Listen, tonight, we ought to be filled with passion. If Jesus laid down his life for me, if he gave his all for me, what, 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 what is it really, you know, do I have enough passion to demonstrate to the Lord that I love him enough that I'm involved all the way for the Lord's work there? So tonight we see in these... Men of Jabez Gilead, we see a purpose demonstration. They were so proactive. They were so purposed. One last thing, we're done tonight. Go with me to chapter 2 and we're done. We see a passive disinterest. We see a protected deliverance. We see a purpose demonstration as we close tonight. Would you notice a profitable duty? 2 Samuel 1 and 2. Saul has been mourned. Probably nobody shed tears more over Saul's death than David did. I believe David epitomized what Jesus advocated in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Love your enemies, pray for them which despisably use you. 
David asked God, well, God, do you, should I go up to the men, should I go up to Judah? Saul's dead and you said I'm supposed to be king, but where do you want me to go? He wasn't presumptuous about his calling. Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the next step, Lord? And God said, go to Hebron. Place of fellowship. The men of Judah rallied around him there and they made David king there. And in verse 4, the very first news, the very first report of the state of the nation, because they were concerned about the nation. The nation's morale was low. Soldiers are scattered. Fresh in their minds was a defeat by the Philistines. It was a terrible defeat. The jury was still out. Can David perform? Could David get the job done? The men of Judah believed he could. They always believed in David. They had enough faith in David that David could get it done. But the rest of the nation wasn't really sure. And we get to verse 4 here. And the very first thing that comes to David is a state of the nation report by his military generals. And the Bible says in verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, say, The men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul. Because, you know, before David even asked the question, they said, David, we've got to bring some news. We've got to tell you something that if you understand the historical archives of our nation, we've got to tell you something you've got to really be keen on. They said, listen, we know that Saul was killed on the battlefield. We knew that we know that he fell upon his own sword. We have the reports that the Philistines came and mutilated the bodies. They took his head off. And we have reports that their bodies we're pinned up against the wall of Bethshan. We've got to tell you some news, David. You need to be aware of the men of Jabesh Gilead. When he heard this, the men of Jabesh Gilead, the men who had passive disinterest, the men who the men who were disinterested, four hundred years before that we almost lost that tribe. He said, "What are you telling me here?" They said, "Hey, the men of Jabesh Gilead. They came. Notice verse four. They came. They were the ones who came and buried the body. So you know when they said that, in David's mind, as a warrior, as a soldier, he's thinking, "Whoa, these men made a risky involvement. Whoa, these men showed some passion." Well, these men showed that they're concerned. Well, these men really did. And he's thinking, what? where was Judah in all this? Where's Manasseh in all this? Where's Simeon in all this? Where are the rest of the tribes? Hey, how come nobody else was concerned? And remember, the morale is very low and they're scattered everywhere. And listen, there was a great inspiration by, by the, about the men of Jabesh Gilead. And I want you to understand something tonight. Listen, the, the word is spread throughout all of the nation of Israel very quickly that the men of Jabesh Gilead, a small tribe of men, they went down there, they went up there to Bashan, they recovered the bodies, they, they took the bodies back, they gave it a proper burial, and the word got out, the good news got out. Somebody cared enough about the situation to say, we're concerned, we're all in about this matter here. And so David gets word about this. He's the king on the throne. Very first piece of action David's involved with. And notice in verse 5 and 6 we see a commendable blessing. Now David, all he knew about David's Gilead was what he had known from the historical archives. He really had no dealings with them during that time because remember, most of that time for 13 years he was running from Saul. Verse 5 says, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and he said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have shown this kindness unto your Lord even to Saul and have buried them. 
And the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you this kindness because you've done this thing. Hey, David's commending their kindness and David's commending their courage and David's commending their involvement and David's commending their conviction. He's commending them for what they did there. He wanted them and all of Israel to know that their passion for Saul would not be forgotten. He said, blessed be ye of the Lord that you've shown this kindness to your Lord even to Saul. Hey, thank the Lord that you didn't take advantage of Saul. Thank God that you didn't, you didn't, you didn't see what Saul did for you 40 years before and you took advantage of it and just forgot it. Thank God that you kept that in the memories of your heart. These memories of grace stirred you on that you needed to do something. Thank the Lord that you had this, this great, this great concern, this righteous indignation. And he tells him in verse six, the Lord now show kindness and truth unto you. He says, may the Lord shower his kindness. May the Lord shower his truth upon you. May the Lord, what he's saying there, may the Lord engraft you back into the nation. May the Lord just use you in a greater way. He said, may the Lord show you that what you did is good. May the Lord show you that what you did just inspired the nation. May the Lord show you that your act of kindness, your act of courage, basically is now giving us a shot in the arm. As I become king over all of Judah, this is exactly what we need to tell our children, children's children, that there was a tribe that one time was passively disinterested, that now got passive, passionately involved, and they showed their demonstration by risking their lives to recover the dead bodies of Saul and his sons. And then David says something very remarkable. I also will requite you this kindness because you've done this thing. You know what he's saying there? This is big. This is really big. This is the king's word. Not only am I praying that the Lord will bless you, but he said, I will also repay you for this kindness. Can I share something with you tonight? God bless his passion. God bless his passion. You give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. God bless his passion. You give a gospel track out. God bless his passion. God bless his concern. I will requite you this kindness that you've shown unto your Lord. A commendable blessing. They're commended for being passionate. They're commended for showing their love, their concern. Even though it was a dead body, they were, they were, they were blessed by that. And by the way, notice this if you would. The nation needed to hear some good news. And it spread throughout all the nation what these men had done. I tell you, when there's good news, you want everybody to know. When there's good news, you want everybody to know about it. That's what the gospel is all about. It's good news. You want everybody to know about it. Amen. We want to get it out to as many people as we can. We want to spread it out far and near. It doesn't matter who they are and what they look like, what they speak and what they say. We just want to get the good news to everybody. Listen, everyone got the good news. Here was a nation, here was a tribe that was once passionate. They were passively disinterested. Now they're very involved and very determined, very dedicated there. And, Paul, and David here gives a commendable blessing. But as we close tonight, notice in verse 7, he gives a compelling beckoning to them. Now remember, they, had, they were basically, their actions saying, we're reconnecting ourselves mainstream with the rest of the nation. We're reconnecting ourselves to get involved. We're reconnecting ourselves to say, we're in this thing, man. We're right back with the nation and we put ourselves on the line. We didn't ask people to look at what we said. In fact, they weren't even trumping their own. They weren't trumping themselves. Word just got out. What happened to the bodies? Well, we heard that the men of Jabesh Gilead went out and brought the bodies back and gave it proper burial. And they probably sent messengers out there to Beshan just to double check and verify the reports were true. And the reports were true. There were no bodies there. And they found the location where the bodies were properly interred. And they looked there and they said, wow, this is wonderful. And so David now, 
is giving compelling beckoning because he knows they're reconnected. And he knew what he had to say at that moment was vitally concerning to them and vitally concerning for the rest of the nation. And by the way, it's vitally concerning for you and me. And this is what he says in verse 7. We're done. Therefore, now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant for your master Saul is dead. And he says, in the house of Judah, anointed me king over. You know what he's saying there? You reconnected the nation. You showed your passion for Saul. But he says, listen, I'm the king that God's put on the throne. And he said, I'm not patting myself on the back. But he said, look, the nation still has to go on. There's still business to be done. God still is on the throne and God's still doing his work. He says, I want you to strengthen your hands and I want you to keep on the courage. And he says, I want you to be, continue to be passionate about things. He says, listen, I want you to keep on going. He says, I want you to show your passion again and again and again. He says, don't let it stop at one deed. Don't be a one-act Christian. Be a multi-act Christian. Keep on going. Pass it down to your future generations. Let them know that you're passionate. Hey, listen, if there's one thing we want the next generation to know, we want to know that this generation is passionate about getting the gospel out to as many people as we can. Get it out. Let your hands be strong. Don't stop at that one deed there. He didn't want their passion to diminish after this noble effort. He didn't want the men of Jabez Gilead to be one-act Christians. He wanted them to be totally involved. Keep showing it again. And again, and again, and again. Let your hands be strengthened. New outreach opportunity, let your hands be strengthened. Ten new classrooms, be valiant. Let's fill them up. Let's reach more souls. We're going to plan this this year. This summer is Saturday, right before the missions conference. So many marathons Saturday. And as much as you, if, you, if your calendar is already clear, I'm asking that you clear your calendars at church on that day. And we want to have a sewing marathon without the surrounding areas. We'll have morning sewing and afternoon sewing. We want people to sign up based upon your schedule. You can sign up for morning or afternoon or both. And in the middle of all that, we're going to have a barbecue luncheon there. And we're going to basically have the morning crew come back and celebrate with the barbecue and share the reports of what God had done. And people will come back and say, praise the Lord. You know, today I got to knock on 50 doors. I got to talk to five people. And praise the Lord. Today I got to talk to 10 people about the Lord. And one got saved. And they're committed to come to church tomorrow and then the afternoon crew is going to get ready to go out they'll go from one to three and they'll bring the gospel we're just going to have a wonderful time in the lord and just have a sony marathon and that day if we could reach five thousand to ten thousand homes with the gospel what a wonderful thing that would be and i'm telling you this morning this evening we've got to keep showing passion again and again and again we've got to be sure ourselves concerned about what the lord's work is and some who are maybe this evening you're shy and you're concerned and you're not a public speaker and you you've tried it before and really the thought of ringing a doorbell knocking a door just it makes you nervous and, and telling people what your name is makes you nervous. I'm going to tell you tonight, just come. You can be the silent partner, the prayer partner and come alongside of the rest of us. And the Lord willing, we can have 300 of our folks out, out so winning in English and Spanish and Chinese and getting the job done and having a wonderful day. And that's the Saturday right before our missions conference. Say, hey, listen, if missions is going to work overseas, we better put missions at work right here at home. Keep the passion strong by staying involved. Let's keep the passion strong by showing faith. Let's keep the passion strong by having a fresh vision of things to come. That's what David say. Strengthen your hands. Be ye valiant for the house of Judah. Don't be king over, over them. He says, I can't tell you everything that God's put on my heart. I can't tell you where we're going to be in the next 10 years. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to go somewhere for God. He says, I just want you to strengthen your hands and be courageous and be involved. And don't be one act in this. Let's get involved and do the whole thing for God there. It was compelling to see greater things to come and join in accomplishing these things. So we close tonight. I want to just encourage you tonight. Be passionate for Jesus. Amen. Be passionate for his church. Be passionate for his word. Hey, we, we, we've got constant threats against the word of God. 
new modern day versions keep coming out. A newest one, which I'll address in a certain in a uh, future message, is one called the modern English version, the MEV. And this MEV version, basically, they're purporting that it's a, it's a TR equivalent and the, and the Old Testament was transferred to the Masoretic and they're, they're, they're saying it was a form of equivalency, but I've already done some, some verse comparisons and I'm going to tell you, it is not like the King James. There's some glaring problems. I went over that with the staff the other day. There's some glaring problems with it. There's some things that, that, that take the matter of the doctrine of salvation and promotes lordship salvation. And there's some other things like that are just kind of goofy about that whole version there. And by the way, just even beyond you get all that, you have to look at the public house that published it is published by charismatic charisma books which basically is a pentecostal charismatic group it's all about this and you look at the committee of people that are involved on there is they start up even telling you it was an ecumenical group of people who are involved with it and listen you say why are you concerned about that pastor because young independent baptists are going that route and older independent baptists seem to be turning their heads against it and not think it's a concern it is a concern listen day sage attack from day one is this yea has god said Let's be passionate about getting this new building built. Let's be passionate about getting it paid off. Let's be passionate about filling it up. Let's be passionate about the work of God going on. The next hundred people being added to the church. The next two hundred people being added to the church. And David gave a compelling beckoning to the men of David. He said, the Lord gives you and me a compelling uh, awakening to tell us, hey, get involved. Be involved in the mainstream. Strengthen your hands. Be valiant. Get ready for the next big thing. He said, Lord, we're going to take it on. We're not afraid of it. We're going to take on that challenge for the glory of God there. Some of you baseball buffs, and I'm not much of a baseball buff. Brother Arnold, you're a big baseball buff. But one of the, probably the big names right now in, in baseball is Albert Pujols. Is that how you pronounce that, Pujols? Somebody help me. How do you pronounce his last name? Is that right, Pujols? Okay. From the Dominican Republic. He just hit his 600th home run. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Plays for the California Angels. And a lot of the... What they call the elite of the Major League Baseball, they talk about, they talk about these, these, these traits, these tools that really good players have. And someone like a Albert Pujols, they call him a 5-2 player and they're recognized for five things. They're hitting for average. They're hitting for power. They're fielding. They're throwing. They're running. They're known for those things. But some of the commentators got together recently and they were talking about Albert Pujols and comparing him to some of the historical greats who made their name and are in the Hall of Fame. And they were looking and they said, but you know, there's something about Albert Pujols that distinguishes him from kind of the rest of his peers in modern day baseball today. They said, we believe that Albert Pujols has what we call a sixth tool. Most major league players have five tools. They are, they're, they're hitting for average, they're hitting for power, they're running, they're fielding, they're throwing. But we think Albert Pujols, what makes him uniquely different, what makes him someone who energizes a, and is a catalyst on the ball field, is the fact that the sixth tool that Albert Pujols have is the tool of attitude. Albert Pujols is passionate about baseball. He's passionate about winning. He's passionate about being number one. He's passionate about raising the, the bar. He's passionate about encouraging his fellow team members to play their best ball. He's encouraging all of them to be men who could be Hall of Famer type of atti- uh, men that could be in there. He's passionate about it. He's got a great attitude to that. And they look at him they say, if there's one thing that distinguishes him is that spirit there, that he is a spirit for excellence, that he has a desire of advancing the cause of what he's involved with. Now listen, if a man like that could be passionate about baseball, how much more should you and I be passionate about Jesus Christ? 
And if they call him a six-tool baseball player, maybe tonight we need some six-tool Christians that get on fire for God and say, listen, I'm going to excel at prayer. I'm going to excel at church attendance. I'm going to excel at, I'm going to excel at being faithful. I'm going to excel at serving. I'm going to excel at so winning. I'm going to excel at loving God. I'm going to excel at helping the church. I'm going to excel at giving. Hey, let's be a six-tool Christian. Have that attitude. I'm passionate about everything that God is passionate about. And let's say I'm going to be passionate about it till the day that I die. I'll pass on passivity. The men of Jabez Gilead were just like that. They were six-tool type of men. First time we meet them, passively disinterested. The second time we meet them, they're protectively delivered. That deliverance embedded in their mind. Somebody cared about us. We need to start caring about other people. The third time we meet them, 40 years later, it's a purpose demonstration. What everybody else thought was a hopeless cause, they said someone's got to do something about it. The last thing we read about them, last thing we read about them, is they're passionately devoted. They're passionately devoted. They're passionate in their duty. And David's last words to them, he says, listen, I will repay you this kindness. But he says, let your hands be strong. You be courageous. He says, there's more to be done. There's more that's going to happen. He says, just get on board. Be passionate about the work of God. I want to encourage you tonight. Summer's starting. Let's get passionate about Jesus. Let's stay passionate about His Word. Let's stay involved in the Lord's work. Let's do all that we can. Go on vacation. Take your time off. Have fun. Enjoy the longer days. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy your family time. But enjoy Jesus while you're doing all that. Amen. Be passionate about the Lord. Father, tonight as we close, thank you, Lord, for the story about these men of Jabez Gilead. They so inspire me, if nobody else, about their courage, about their kindness, about their convictions, about their love, and about their desire. It could be tonight, Lord, because of busyness and distractions. Maybe like what we looked at this morning, like Lot's wife who turned back. We can't let go of the past. We can't let go of our possessions. We can't let go of people. Father, tonight reinvigorate in us our passion. Our passion for you. Our passion for your word. Our passion for your church. A passion for proclaiming the gospel. A passion, Lord, for getting that next building completed. Getting it paid for and filled up. A passion for getting people to church. A passion for our family. A passion, Lord. To be passively devoted. And Father, tonight, if we've gotten crusty and hardened, disconnected, disinterested, Thank you, you're merciful. Thank you for things maybe you're using some of our lives right now to kind of shake us up. To show us and tell us that, you know what? You used to be, but now you're here. Reconnect us tonight. Beginning with a passion for you. To say like the songwriter said, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. 
not to say it flippantly, but to really love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. May everything about us say we love Jesus. May everything about us say that the love of Jesus is written all over our lives. God delivers from hatred and unforgiveness and malice and complaining and murmuring. Give us a sweet spirit tonight. Invitation to be given tonight, Lord. Maybe some here tonight's not saved. I pray they get saved. Maybe some, Lord, have pulled back and the call has been issued like they did in Judges 21, but not we've not responded. Help us get reconnected, re-involved, we pray tonight. Help us as parents be concerned about what's going on in our, our, our children's curriculum, their schools, their associations, the coaches and people they have that are not saved. Help us concerned about kids who have gender confusion problems. Help us be concerned, dear Lord, of all these other different things that are going on that it would bother us and concern us tonight. Father, help us be a holy church. Help us, God, be a church that loves you. Help us have that valiantness and the courage that Jabez Gilead had when they went to recover the bodies of Saul and his sons. Have your way in this invitation. Help us be passionate enough that we'll meet you at the old-fashioned altar. I pray these things of you, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Your head's about and eyes closed. If you want to come tonight, I invite you to come join me at the altar tonight. To move our passiveness to passion. Disinterest to devotion. Distance to connection. Involvement. Love. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, He says, there's one thing. You've left your first love. We can serve we can take a stand but if we don't love the Lord we've left our first love join me tonight let's come this evening passionate about the things of God passionate for Vancey's kingdom you come tonight you're not saved tonight the Lord's passionate for you he wants you to get saved the Lord invites you tonight to open your heart and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be your savior you're not saved tonight. We invite you to trust Jesus tonight. Receive Him as your Savior. Would you do that tonight? Father, in just a moment, we're going to break into time of fellowship. And we just pray that you bless our fellowship. And thank you for the resources that we have as a church to be able to encourage one another. And this week, as we start a new week, it's a time of busyness. And we pray, Lord, first for families that will be going on vacation. Some are coming back from vacation. Give them safety and journeys, mercies and protection. And Lord, draw them together closer as families and with a determination by the end of their vacation time, they can't wait to get back to church and serve you. Reignite our fire and involvement, our concern about serving the Lord and help us as a church this summer to have the most productive, fruitful summer we've ever had for your glory. Help us that our services will just be over the top and your power coming down and working our lives. Dismiss us tonight with your blessing. Bless the ice cream fellowship you're about to have. We'll thank you for these things. Save souls this week. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for